I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Hi, everyone. It's Romy here. I'm so excited today to be joined by Michelle Meyer-Ship, who's the principal Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer at KPMG, and she's a truly inspiring woman. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, To just dive in right away, could you tell our audience about your career? You've had incredible roles and an incredible set of experience and would love to hear about your journey. Thank you. Oh, sure. Happy to. So um, I actually am an attorney by trade. Um, I decided when I was wrapping up college that I wanted to go to law school, and I wasn't exactly sure, um, you know, what I wanted to do with the legal degree, but I knew I wanted to do something focused on the law, fundamental fairness, equal justice, and things of that nature. Um, So I started out and spent the first seven years of my career working in law firms um, with a specialty on employment law. And I really enjoyed working with people. I liked helping people solve people and HR-related issues. Um, And interestingly, over the course of those seven years, I also discovered that I did not like litigating. I didn't enjoy going to court. And candidly, I just didn't like fighting um, over the people issues. So... I navigated my career um, into uh, government where I actually was able to do some work in a proactive way to help my organization think about issues of equity by, by driving programs and initiatives to support our employees rather than, again, litigating and fighting cases. Um, and to make a long story short, that navigated me to uh, global corporations. I went and worked for a couple of different organizations and I became an in-house employment attorney. And in those roles, I mean, I actually had such great experiences because I was able to support my organizations in a number of ways around people issues. So I was able to train um, leaders on, you know, manager 101 basics. I was able to teach our employees about issues um, of fairness in the workplace. Um, I was able to help the organizations write HR policies, you know, revise and and enhance policies. And I was also able to help employees um, navigate people issues, you know, so when there were employee concerns or complaints or things of that nature, I was usually the person called in to help resolve those. So on any given day, I was able to take all of my legal skills and put them to use in a number of ways, and I didn't have to litigate matters. So that was because that was something I knew I, I didn't enjoy. And it was through that work that I came to also um, support my organization's diversity and inclusion initiatives. And it was there that I really fell in love with the idea of, you know, proactively driving diversity and inclusion um, at an organization. And interestingly enough, I started to volunteer to do work for uh, my organization's D&I efforts 
that was outside of my day job. Um, I joined ERGs. I led BRG, ERG programs and initiatives, all, again, outside of my day job. And that led me to ultimately uh, being given the opportunity to become a chief diversity officer um, at my last organization. And I sat in that role for about six years. And, you know, it's funny, Romy, I never, ever looked back. Um, I love the work. I'm now doing it at KPMG. And what's been so neat about it is I feel like all of the experiences that I had as an employment lawyer in a law firm, as an employment lawyer in government, you know, as an in-house lawyer, all of those experiences plus my experiences, you know, volunteering with ERG initiatives, plus my experience as a woman and a woman of color at that, all of those things for me, um, I think just set me up perfectly to do this role. Um, and I really do feel like it's what I was born to do. So it's, it's been a, it's been a great that. journey and I have, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. There's so much to ask you about because I think, first of all, there are not that many people we ever speak to in our lives who say, wow, I found the job I meant to do. And I think what's interesting is that it's very hard to know on a piece of paper what that ever will be. So you kind of, mm -hmm. you took, you had a few different digs and dives to get there. And it sounds like you were really open to understand what worked and be aware of what didn't work for you and seek something mm -hmm. that made more sense. But I also have an interesting thought, which is, you clearly have a very inspiring calling to bring better things to our society. And you found a way to do that better in a corporate setting than in the public sector. Do you, do you, are you, you feel like your home is in the corporate sector. And I think there's so much opportunity for corporations to lead change. Can you talk about where you see opportunity there? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and, and I'll just say this. I mean, I think, I think I, I actually did also have that opportunity in the public sector, but because I was an appointee, um, when I, in my last government role, I was an appointee to the governor. And what happens with that is when the governor leaves, you leave, right? So it, oh, it right. wasn't ever a, a lot place. Of job security. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so that's how I navigated um, to corporate. But I will tell you that I really have found over the last, you know, eight years now, that I've been doing this work, that corporations, they get that diversity and inclusion um, and the advancement of women and people of color and other underrepresented groups, they get that this is a business imperative and it's a priority. Um, and they are very, very keen in understanding that, you know, they want to make sure their workforce mirrors the market, the clients they serve, et cetera. So they are empowering you know, HR professionals and leaders to really help point them in the right direction in advancing diversity and inclusion. And it's, and it's pretty neat because, you know, there's no one size fits all with, with driving diversity programs. It really is going into an organization, assessing what they need and coming up with creative solutions. So I actually get to be very creative and bring ideas, you know, to leadership to fit the needs of the organization and then work with leaders to build and roll out things from there. So there's, there's tons and tons of opportunity, um, so much so that my team and I, we often laugh about the fact that there's so much we, we can do. We have such a long list of initiatives that we want to drive. 
we have to often narrow that list down, you know, and pick the things that matter the most, you know, and put the other things on like the B list, right? Because we can't do everything at the same time. But um, I think we have a great opportunity. I think companies get it. So I'm excited about, you know, what the future holds, um, not just for my organization, you know, but for all of the organizations who I know are really focused on the work. Well, and it sounds like there's an incredible commitment behind you and support behind you to really make a change and make uh, diversity and inclusion paramount at KPMG. So I'm excited to see uh, what you'll accomplish. Um, tell me, you, you referenced this a little bit. Tell me how you think your experience as a woman, as a woman of color, has influenced your career path along the way. So it's funny. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this question, and I actually do not specifically think that my gender um, played a role in my career. And let me tell you why. Um, when I graduated from law school, 50% of our class was women. Um, and when I wow. went to my first law, yeah, 50%. And when I went to my first law firm, there were 14 associates all hired in as first-year lawyers. 55% of us were women. And before we got on this, this, this call today, I was actually really thinking about this. I was thinking about each job I had and if I really thought that at any point, you know, my gender, my race played into it. And I will tell you, I really, everywhere I've been, um, I have been exposed to such diversity that I don't even think it was a thing that played into me either landing a role or being picked for a role because there was, there well, was really balanced. Story that we, we don't yeah. hear everywhere. So I think it speaks volumes, I think, about your personal experience, also possibly about the law profession being one of the most sort of um, progressive out there. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, I think the other thing that I have done um, and that I, that I was very intentional about doing when I was looking for my roles and even coming right out of law school, I interviewed at a lot of law firms when I was in law school. And I remember when I was interviewing, doing my research um, and making sure that the place I picked was a place where I could see myself in. Um, and I remember looking for diversity I remember looking for women. I remember asking, you know, where are the people of color? And I actually remember walking away from an opportunity because I didn't see anybody who looked like me. Um, and, and I think about how every job I, and again, I'm an employment lawyer, right? So these are things I'm always thinking about. So every place I ever went, I was always looking at the opportunity with that lens of, is this environment going to be inclusive for me? And do I see a population that, you know, will be supportive? And, and that's, that's perhaps why um, I have not encountered a situation where I think that my, my, my demographic makeup, you know, played a role in me getting or being in the role. Does that make sense? You know, 100%. And actually, it really is the central proposition of our company, Fairy Godbox, is that, you know, we aim to equip women job seekers with more information about companies so they can have that level of clarity. But I think you really um, put a fine point on how important it is for us all to do 
our research um, and be reminded. I think as when I was job seeking, I always felt like, well, I'll be lucky just to get an offer. But no, we yep. really have to do our due diligence and, and actively find the place that works for us. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your career path and your progression and specifically about mentorship and sponsorship. Who has helped mm-hmm. you grow and develop along the way? Oh, I love that question. So um, you know what? I've had a few good women and a few good men. Um, and I mean that sincerely. I mean, I have, when I think about my Rolodex of mentors, I will tell you that all throughout my career, I have had what I describe as a board of mentors. Um, and at any given time, that board of mentors might look a little bit different. At different stages of my career, and, and I learned this when I was coming up in law school and you know, we would have professional development workshops you know, people would say to us as we were getting ready to embark on our careers to make sure we had more than one mentor and to make sure that we were strategic in choosing mentors who were pertinent and relevant to us at that particular stage in our career. So, That's very you know, good when advice. I went into, right? Exactly. So when I went into my, my earlier roles, it was, okay, I need to figure out how this place operates. I need to figure out, you know, how you how you grow and advance. I need as a as a as a woman and a mom. Um, I need to understand how to navigate work life integration. Um, and so I always strategically identified people who could help me do that. And at each point and throughout the career, that board of mentors consisted of about five to six people, some men, some women, and again targeted towards different points in my career. I specifically remember an occasion after I had my first of three sons um, and I was in my law firm and I came back from parental leave and I remember thinking, okay, now how is this supposed to work? I've been out for six months. My peers who started with me are now six months ahead of me. How do I get back in the game? And at that point, I I knew. Exactly. And I knew at that point that, I had to go seek out someone who had lived this experience and been successful who could help me figure it out. And at that point, for, that was one of those periods where I was like, okay, time to get somebody new on my board of mentors. And I tapped into a woman who had literally gone through the same experience three years earlier. She was doing really well at the firm, and she helped me figure out how to get my sea legs when I got back. So it's that kind of thing. When I transitioned to corporate America, from state government, huge difference. I was like, all right, I need somebody who's done this before. Help me figure out what's different and how to navigate. And I identified a leader who came from state government, right? So it's always thinking about it that way. And I've also always been intentional about making sure that I have mentors, not just in my organization, but external to my organization. um, So so that I keep it. I have to say, it's very hard to remember and, pay attention to and it is just the most important thing yes yes because you need that you need that internal lens but you also need to need to keep your eye on what's going on in the market trends and things you need to be thinking about so that's how I've done that and you know sponsors I haven't always known who all my sponsors were at the time but I've often discovered who my my sponsors were after some significant you know great thing happened me in a career. Um, so 
to that end, I will say that I don't think, except for maybe one time, I've ever applied for a job. Um, I've often always been referred for a job or someone gave someone my name and I later found out that it was someone who was watching me that I didn't know was watching me and put my name on the table when an opportunity came up. And those I love are the instances I think in which I, I realized, yeah, as sponsors. It's perfect, perfect execution of a principle we talk about so much. Um, it's really, really great. You know, a tactical question I get asked a lot is, from a practical perspective, how did you stay in touch with all these mentors and sponsors? What, if what way, how did you reach out? Were you meeting with them? Were you sending them emails? What do you recommend for those of us building these boards of advisors, these boards of mentors? What's the best practice there? <laughs> so really tactical. Um, I coordinate not only regular touch points like lunches or dinners, um, but I also, like, I know birthdays. I know enough about them that, you know, significant family milestones and events. I send thank you notes, text messages. I literally keep in touch. So I'm not reaching out just when I need you. I'm not reaching out just when I have a career question. But literally having a quarterly dinner, an every other month dinner, a lunch, a Sunday morning breakfast, or whatever it may be, um, and then keeping that kind of soft touch through technology, a text, a note, an email. And, and I actually, I have, and I do this not just with my mentors, but with my friends in my life. You know, if I think of you, I send you a note, hey, just thinking about you today, hope all is well. That's, I'm, a, I'm a high-touch person, and I love, I love human it. beings. So oh, that's the way I navigate. <laughs> yep. I think they love yep. you too. <laughs> <laughs> now you are in a really strong position to pay it forward as you're doing right now by sharing this with us. How do you institute a practice of helping and developing and mentoring women who are coming up the ranks now? I do it all the time, often for all, as many as possible. So I go out of my way, first of all, to let the people I come into contact with at work and outside of work know that if they need me, I'm there for them to just reach out. And it's funny, I've done that, I've been at KPMG for one year, um, and about two months ago, my secretary said to me, Michelle, how many more people are you going to mentor? Like, you can't, your calendar. And I said to her, <laughs> you know what? I said, let's pick one day a month that is my mentor day, where I'm meeting with all of my mentees. Because the, the, the people who want to talk to me and, and who need career guidance, it's up to me to pay it forward. People helped me along the way, and now I want to pay it forward. So I literally, you know, in my role, I come across a lot of people all the time through speaking engagements, through, you know, training programs, you know, through social events, dinners, et cetera. I meet so many people, and I spend a lot of time with our junior professionals. I spend a lot of time on college campuses. I spend a lot of time at grad schools. And when I talk to people about my career, they will reach out and say, hey, can I talk to you? Hey, can you look at my resume? Hey, can you give me some advice? And I, I will literally never turn anybody away. Um, I always make time, again, for either a call, a breakfast meeting, you know, lunch meeting. Um, and for some people, it has actually literally become a thing where we keep in touch once a quarter. Um, so I really do believe it's my responsibility to do that. The other thing I will say is beyond mentorship, 
um, I do make sure that I advocate for people um, when they're not in the room. So that whole sponsor effect, right? Um, being a voice for others when they're not present and able to have that voice. So whether it be in a discussion about, you know, a promotional opportunity or a feedback meeting or a stretch assignment or whatever comes up, if, if there's somebody who I know that's a really strong person who, who's ready and willing for that next move, I'm advocating for them, even if they're not aware of it and they're not in the room. Well, and in my mind, I have to say that, simply put, can make all the difference in sort of helping us as a society advance toward gender equality. Because I think it's, A, we didn't have enough senior women in the room for a long time. And now that we have senior women, it's it's the only way we'll make change is if you who are there are helping to advocate. So thank you for setting such a good example and for your advocacy. And I also want to say that I can personally attest to the fact that you, you're so receptive because you and I met at a conference. And I was so grateful That's to right. you for kind of accepting my introduction and being willing to include me in your fold. So thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Um, some, I can't wait to hear your answer to this question. You know, we, we ask all of our interviewees, uh, what, how do you define a good manager? What to you does a good manager look like? <laughs> so I could literally spend a half an hour answering this question, so I'm going to try to be succinct. Um, I would say that a good manager is actually not a manager at all. He or she is a leader, um, and a leader is someone who possesses a couple of key characteristics. They are inspirational in that they are passionate about their work and about their team such that they inspire the folks on their teams to follow them. They inspire followership and engagement. They are strong communicators. Um, not only are they great at verbal communication, um, but they are also good listeners, and they hear their people. They ask questions of their people. They ask everyone for their point of view, and they give everyone a voice. Um, I think they also are people who are highly emotional, intelligent, and compassionate. Um, it's critical. If you overlook that and you can't connect with your people, you are doomed. They will not be inspired, they will not be loyal, and they will not want to follow you. Um, so you have to be emotionally intelligent, and you have to know how to navigate all the ins and outs and ebbs and flows of human beings and human nature. And to that end, you have to even watch yourself by being self-aware. Um, and, and, and I could talk about this for hours, um, but I learned through my career in many instances something that I never realized, which is you think you know how you come off to people. You think you know how people receive you, but often what you think is not what they receive. So being so self-aware, right, of how you show up and how, you be, how you're being received is critical. And being self-aware also means that as a leader, you have to be open for feedback, you have to ask for feedback, and you need to let your people know that they can talk to you. And then finally, I would say you have to be a person of integrity. You know, you have to do the right thing all the time. 
You have to own your mistakes. And, I mean, you have to verbally, when you make a mistake, you own it, you say it, and you correct it. You recognize your people, and you're fair and honest and transparent, and you're inclusive. I think, the, I mean, I think all of those qualities are absolutely critical to being a strong leader. Absolutely. Uh, well, I would like to be on your team for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you mentioned you have to own your mistakes. So this is a great lead into our next question, which is tell us about a mistake you made and what did you learn from it? So I made, I made a pretty yuck, yucky mistake. Um, and I don't regret it because I think things all worked out for me, but I'm going to tell you the mistake I made. I actually, during the course of my career, have been offered lots of opportunities um, and sometimes offered opportunities that I just wasn't so sure about. Um, and I, I happened to be offered an opportunity um, several years ago um, when I was at one organization. I was offered an, another opportunity at that organization, and I just was unsure about how it was going to play out, and I turned it down, and I walked away, and I actually left the organization. And when I look back, I think I left too soon, um, and I wish – I had let it play out and I had some regrets. Yeah. Yeah. I had some regrets and I recently was somewhere and I heard a very, very senior, senior leader woman ask this question and she actually told a story that sounded all too familiar. And she said, I left too soon. She said, you have to be patient in your career and you have to give things time to play out. And when she said that, I swore that she was talking to me. And I thought, I wish I had heard her say that three years ago. So what I've learned from that and what I will tell people when I mentor them and they get restless or unsettled, I'm like, do me a favor. Give it some time to play out. Whatever it is that you're feeling right now, just give it some time to play out. I'm not saying just sit there forever but give yourself a window. Talk to your mentors or your family members or whoever you trust about this and give yourself a time frame to play it out because organizations are constantly changing. Leaders and, and positions are constantly you know, being reorganized and restructured and you've got to let it play out. So that's what I would say on that one. Well, it's excellent, excellent advice and I have to say that it is uh... – I, it is my, my Achilles heel. I'm like the least patient person on earth. <laughs> but I'm practicing every day, and I think becoming a, a parent has, uh, has made me more patient as well. So <laughs> you are a parent. You're a parent, right? And you have three boys. You yes. Tell me about how you've managed an extraordinary career with three boys. Tell me about that. How did you make it work? So, so and just for context, so my boys are now – 17, 18, and 21, um, two in college and one in high school. And I'll tell you, I mean, one of the things I did to, to make this work is I very quickly accepted the fact that for me, this wasn't about balance, but it was about integration. Um, and I had to appreciate that, that both of these things had to coexist at the same time, work and family. Um, so a couple of things I've always done. One, in every job that I've had, I've been very transparent about my core value in that my family comes first. 
My family comes first, and anybody who knows me knows that. At the drop of a dime, if any one of my boys has an issue at school or with their health or whatever, I need to go. I need to go handle it. I need to go see about them. Um, So I've let that be known everywhere that I've gone. Um, And I also had to give myself permission to learn how and when to say no, both on the work side and on the family side. So I have three very engaged kids or young men, I should say now, who were in all types of sports and band and, you know, extracurricular activities. And I had to acknowledge and admit to myself and to them straight away as they were coming up, especially in high school, that I couldn't be at everything. But I also had to, on the work side, acknowledge that I couldn't be at everything. And I've had to negotiate with leaders around, okay, I know you have that meeting every such a day at such and such a time, and I just need to let you know that I can't be there at that time because I've got drop-off on those days, and I need you to help me work this out. So it's being honest. It's being transparent. Um, it's being clear to my intention and, and sticking com- to the it. confidence to assert it and – and, you know, allow for a solution. But I think it's so important to, because uh, I agree with you, I always say my family comes first. And um, and you have to be so unwavering because that commitment will get, you know, that commitment or the, at least the schedule will get tested like 10 times a day, right? And, yes. and you have to yes. be unwavering. Um, yes, that's a great, great way to put it. I like that word. Yes, unwavering is exactly what it's been. So I'm going to ask you a few fun questions just to get to know you a little bit better. What's your favorite okay. pastime? <laughs> I have two. Um, football. I am a football fanatic. Um, Who's your my team? brother-in-law played in the well, the Giants um, okay. are my team. I love the Giants, and my brother-in-law actually used to play for the Arizona Cardinals. So I love wow. the Arizona Cardinals as well. And I have two kids who play football. So their their wow. college and high school teams are my favorites oh, as well. Amazing. Wow, so that keeps yeah. you busy. And and I'm a I'm an avid traveler. I absolutely love to travel and do incredible, incredible trips. What's your favorite place you've been? Or a place you'd recommend? Um, I've been a lot a lot of cool places, but I would tell you a couple of my key favorites. I just came back from a twelve day adventure in Peru, which started wow. in Lima, made my way through Machu Picchu and then um, ended in the Amazon jungle. Um, I've been dog sledding in Alaska um, and had a remarkable experience at the top of Mauna Kea in Kona, Hawaii, where I was literally above the clouds and could reach up my hand and felt like I could touch the sun. So I like outdoor adventures and exploring um, in great places that give me opportunities to, to do things like that. Amazing. Um, well, it sounds like you're a very athletic, energetic person. If that's, if you're, you know, hanging out above the clouds, um, what is your favorite <laughs> way to exercise your mind or your body? So I'm a yogi nut, yoga, yoga. I'm a yoga me nut. Too. Um, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the most, relaxing I mean just the stretching um and the 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 tension relief that comes from yoga there's nothing like it I mean I actually keep a mat by my bed 
Um, and when I get up in the morning, that's how I start my day. Um, every single day. It, it is there's just, it's just amazing. And at night, stretching is so relaxing. My husband actually calls me the, the cat of the house because he's like, you're always <laughs> stretching. I just find such relief in that. I mean, I am not a gym rat. You know, a lot of people go to the gym all the time. That's just not me. I don't have time and I travel too much. Um, but I find that yoga and stretching is my thing. And when I'm home with the family, you know, I'm, I love to, you know, leash up our dog um, and, and just go and just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. I love, I love being outside and walking as well. I love that. And also, I mean, it really takes a lot of discipline because I love yoga, but I'm not good about like waking up and doing it every day. So um, that yep. discipline really pays off. Yes. Who, who is one person dead or alive that you'd like to have dinner with? So my answer probably won't mean a, a bunch to, to the listeners, but I will tell you that it's my grandfather. Um, oh. I thought a lot about this one as well. And my grandfather, he died when I was in law school. Um, and I, you know, I knew him. I spent time with him when I was growing up, but I wasn't grown up enough at the time that he passed away to appreciate how amazing of a man he was. Um, and we definitely Tell don't have time to get him. into it on this chat. Well, he, um, he spoke many languages. Um, he was from, he was retired from the military um, and raised an amazing family um, in upstate New York um, he was biracial, coming up in a time when race relations were not so great. Um, and he was the smartest person I have ever met in my entire life. And any topic, any topic that you brought up to him, he, he was able to talk about in great depth and with great substance. And I, and I often now wonder how he ever came to be calm, like to be so incredibly brilliant. Um, he was very strategic. He was very focused. And, I mean, he was wise beyond his years on, on all things politics, society, relationships. And like I said, at 20, 21 years old, I really wasn't old enough to appreciate all that he had to offer. And now that I've been where I've been and seen what I've seen, and still, I think, have some things to learn, I'd love to ask him, all right, Grandpa, what's the secret sauce to my next 20 years? Like, what do I need to know and what do I need to do? Well-traveled. I mean, just amazing. So that's who, I, that's who I'd want to break bread with. That is lovely. And he sounds like an incredible person. Thank you for sharing that with Thank us. Thank you. Sure, sure. Okay, so this is a Fairy God Boss signature exercise. But we ask everyone who participates in our event to brag. So I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself. Tell us about something you're great at, something you're proud of, something you've done, something that's wonderful about you. Okay. So I have been told that I am the premier connector of dots in all things. Um, wow. Again, I'm a, peop I'm a people person. Um, and I am able to very quickly assess a situation, assess a room, assess a group, and figure out how and where the dots are disconnected and where they need to be connected. And I think it really all comes back 
to the way I feel about people um, and my attentiveness and care of people. Um, I think personally, besides that, my greatest accomplishment would be my three boys. Um, Again, 17, 18, 21, all so incredibly well-adjusted, so incredibly bright, outgoing, engaging. I mean, when I look at them and I watch them navigate the world and I get feedback unsolicited from their teachers and their coaches about how incredible they are, it makes me proud to know that the things that we taught them and instilled in them, the values, the lessons that they are now carrying off into the world as young men. I love it. It's amazing. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. So my last question for you is simply, what is the one thought or one piece of advice you'd like to leave with our audience, which is a group of talented, ambitious women that want to know how to have great careers? I would say own it. Own it, own it, own it. And what I mean by that is you have to go get what you want. You have to let your aspirations be known. And if people are, you can't sit and think someone's going to bring it to you. So working hard is not enough. You need to let people know, hey, what's the path to promotion? Hey, I want to have that job one day. What do I need to get, do to get there? Hey, by the way, I haven't gotten any feedback in a while. How am I doing? Hey, yeah. what, do I, what, what opportunities do I need seat, right? to take advantage of? Exactly. Own it, own it, own it. Because in my mentorship, I will tell you that this comes up all the time. People come complaining to me about, I haven't gotten feedback. I haven't gotten promoted. I haven't gotten this. My answer to them is always, well, what are you doing about it? Own it. Right. That's what I would say. Michelle, it has been just incredible talking to you today. I got so much out of it. Uh, If I had like three biggest takeaways, it would be I love the way you've worked your board of directors. It's an incredible testament to you, this idea that you never had to look for a job. You, you You built your own career path through the networking and the connections that you prioritized. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, Mm -hmm. you had a huge career while still being able to say the whole time family comes first. And I think that is the ambition of so many of us working mothers. And lastly, own it. Like we we can all take control and make this happen for ourselves, but it takes work and it takes determination and it takes assertiveness um, and kind of a little bit of fearlessness too. (laughs) Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for spending time today. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy Godboss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.